With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, welcome to the Posting and Testing Show. I'm Drew Schwinn's here. What up, Schwinn? What up, what up, what up, what up? And on today's episode, I think it's episode, I don't know, 34? Sure, we're, we're going to go with that. 69. Um, we have, episode 69. Yeah, yeah, episode 69. It's always episode 69 here on the Posting and Testing Show. We have a very special guest with us, and I actually don't have any background in him other than I follow him on Twitter, and I know that... <laughs> His name is Jordan Cohen, and that's really all I got for you. So, Jordan, why don't you introduce yourself since I didn't do any research before? Well, hey, I mean, that is like the best introduction I've had in weeks. So, thank you. I, yeah, I'm <laughs> Jordan Cohen. I'm a big NBA fan, big Cavs fan. I'm also like a big stats fan. So, anything you want to know about basketball stats, let me know. And I'm pretty cool with that stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Any any of the synergy stuff I've ever gotten for like draft people is through Jordan. So. <laughs> That's the connect. connect, Yeah, that's the connect right there. Uh, Unlike Spencer, who is a fucking fucking piece of shit, fucking bum. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Jordan, what's your favorite on-off, like all-encompassing stat? (laughs) Oh shit! I'm a a huge PIPM guy. Are you a PIPM guy? So, so like, I, I, I think they're all shit. But so to that end, I really like PER. Because, like, PER at least gets cited all the time, even though it's, like, a load of shit. Like, people are like, oh, well, his PER. So-. And so that's just funny. But, like, no, I, I think they're all pretty bad. And I think anybody that actually does stats for a living would tell you, like, these are not good stats to measure what well, we say they measure. John Hollinger does stats for a living, and he would disagree with you. Yeah, he would disagree he with you. And he is an authority because he worked in an NBA front office. And if you haven't worked in an, an NBA front office, then yeah, you really don't have to judge anything on that. Wait, wait, can we just talk about, like, John Hollinger's tenure with the Grizzlies? Because, like, they went from, like, <laughs> yes. a really good Yes, team. let's talk about he comes Yeah, in. we can talk about that. That's fine. He, he, he comes in, and then they suck for, like, years. And then the Athletic's like, we got a guy. <laughs> <laughs> my, my favorite thing with Hollinger is, like, this guy, first of all, he put out a fucking article this week. It was, like, nine guys that, you know, I'm a lot higher on, basically, than than most draft projections or some shit like that like undervalued draft prospects like, two of the guys who was like killing in haze and yeah uh kongu i was like are you fucking kidding me man 
Like Killian Hayes is my top pick. Like I, I don't think that's a weird think, opinion either. Nobody's sleeping on these guys. Like literally, if you fucking go on Twitter, search their names, you'll find like fifty fucking five hundred, five thousand people tweeting yeah. about these fucking idiots every day as top pricks. Like yeah. you're, you're not going out on a limb. But at the same time, let's be real here. This is a guy who saw the underrated value in Wade Baldwin. <laughs> and, and, you know, drafted him 17th overall and was there in the front office when they waived him after a year, like, which is a very, very successful draft pick. So, like, was he I'm there the, thing. the Jeff Green trade, too? Yeah. Was he there for that? Was oh, he God, there? Probably. I think he was. That was such a bit. That was, that was an unprotected. That was, or no, it was like, what? It was top eight protected for wherever. It was yeah, a, converted. Yeah. It's, it's a weird, like, I mean, that whole thing never made sense because it's like, if you're any kind of stats guy, then you know that Jeff Green is just like a guy. Yeah. Like he's not he's not as bad as some people like to portray him as, but he's also not like genuinely good. He so, came into the draft basically like you drafted him, OKC drafted him thinking this would be our 8th to 10th guy. And his entire career, I really just thought he was an 8th to 10th guy, except for John Hollinger, who's like, here's a first round pick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, it doesn't really like honestly none of that shit even really bothers me that much. The the reason I shit on Hollinger is like like he writes all these like, he's written like five things about the Knicks this year and it's like if he, like how are you a guy that was in the front office that hired and fired David Fisdale and now you're sitting there like acting like the Knicks did some horrific like the the crime the Knicks actually committed is hiring David Fisdale. <laughs> yeah, firing him was yeah. like, firing him was like, like, dude, that was like, you know, fucking Moses parting the Red Sea. That was like a fucking great moment in Knicks history. It was just cutting the cord with an obvious idiot head coach. Like, fuck the fuck the optics. Fuck, that was great. That was perfect. Like, I I wish the Knicks had the courage to admit mistakes quicker and sooner, more frequently, because it would it would do so much. But like. Firing David Fisdale was such a cathartic moment for, you know, me as a Knicks fan and I think a lot of the fan base. Because watching that fucking team this year under him, like, look, it's not like watching them under Mike Miller is some amazingly, like, like I'm not achieving Nirvana through this experience. Mm, but I don't know. I kind of am. <laughs> but like, compared to Fizz. Dude, <laughs> compared to Fizz? Like, Jesus, man. Fizz had us out here looking like we... I swear, we're like we might as well have been not playing like non shot clock era basketball. Some of the shit yeah. we were doing with that guy. Um, hey, did you, yeah. guys, you guys know who um, replaced David Fisdale as the uh, coach in Memphis? Yeah, uh, no, it was um, it was Bickerstaff. Bickerstaff, it was J B hey, Bickerstaff, and that's going to get us into our discussion for that you like that segue i know you guys do that was a good, um, good transition yeah did good trans- you, did you yeah. plan that in advance or did you just yeah it? i actually did i know i planned that in advance i had to double check i was like <laughs> mm, bigger stuff that sounds familiar um yeah and then i looked at it while you guys were doing all this sort of thing but yes um so we brought on jo- uh jordan because we're tired of talking about the knicks and we're still going to talk about them in this episode but we really want to talk about the Cavs because there's actually a lot of parallels between what the Cavs are doing or what they did and what the Knicks did Look this year situation. in their situation and everything along the lines. There's so many similarities. So we wanted to bring Jordan on to actually talk about this because it's very interesting. 
Um, Jordan, help give it since I don't follow the Cavs like super closely, just so I know I got everything right. Um, they fired um, what's the name? Beeline, right? Because yep. he was being too much of a I don't know like fundamentals guy or whatever, and the, the team didn't like him. They decided to trade for Andre Drummond despite still keeping Tristan Thompson on the team, and. They Don't they still, have Z- they still have Zizic too? Oh, he hey, he got his first minutes last night since January 11th. <laughs> <laughs> Ante oh, Zizic, first the round man. pick of the first he round pick of the Celtics eight last night too. We lost by like 21 points. He was a plus eight, so basically the MVP. <laughs> That's yeah, it's really good. The, but, frank um, your, the frank of your team. Yeah, <laughs> but so yeah, so more or less the. The team wasn't really too receptive of the way Beeline was coaching, and they just have more or less got tired of it, so they fired him. Is that fair to say, or am I mischaracterizing it? No, I mean, the the part you're leaving out is that, like, Kevin Love is just kind of a giant crybaby, and so are a lot of the veterans Thank on this you. team. Thank and, you. like, in a lot of ways, I mean, they brought in Beeline to be a developmental guy. And if you look at the Cavs, kind of three best young players, which are Sexton, I mean, this... It, well, you guys get this. Like, best is damning is with faint breeze. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but like Sexton, Garland, and Kevin Porter Jr. Garland really hadn't, but Sexton and Kevin Porter Jr. have improved as the year has gone on. Dude, and so, like, that is his like efficiency from the field month by month. Oh, it's absurd. Yeah, it, it's it's a thing. And like, yeah, I'm 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 a I, I went I'm a Michigan alum. Like I. I I, wa- I follow Michigan basketball a lot. Like, if there's one thing I know for sure about John Beeline, it's that he can develop talent. Like, he can develop, oh. especially guard talent. I, especially I mean, guard I, talent. I remember watching Kevin Porter Jr. like early in the season because Beeline was playing him right away. And I remember just thinking, like, this guy, like, he may be the worst player in the NBA. Like, it, and it's, I mean, it's, it wasn't even close. Like, he was really, really bad. And he's become, like, actually already like a serviceable player because he's so efficient on offense like that's beeline that mm-hmm. that's that that's Cavs coaching like you don't get that good that fast is it like is, is it is it that his like shot selection is better like his distribution is better or yeah so he i like kevin porter jr and like you guys like i'm sure like have seen this like he's always had a really good first step like even in college like at usc wherever he's been his first step's great the problem is in the nba like you can have as great of a first step as anybody it doesn't matter because the guys are just bigger faster and stronger than you and so like he came in and like that's all he kept doing he was a turnover machine um and he still turns the ball over a lot but like he's just gotten better shot selection he is more judicious, like with what he does with the ball. Like he'll pass it much more. Like JB Bickerstaff, who I, I I don't know if he has any brains at all, but he wants to play <laughs> Kevin Porter point guard, which yeah, yeah, interesting. So, but I think so are they going to play all three guards? Then they're going to play Porter, Garland, and Sexton. Oh, my favorite lineup that I think the Cavs really should run are the three guards: Dante Exum <laughs> and Matthew Delapova. <laughs> 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 Like, just go, like, say, like, to Houston or Boston, any of these, like, small ball teams. Be like, all right, yeah, sure. We'll do you one better. Like, five point guards. I kind of like the sound of that, though. I'm not even going to lie. Yeah, so, so, like, uh, the thing that I find, so this is this was my thought, like, when I saw, you know, Beeline get, got fired. And, like, I, I thought that 
it was going to end sooner rather than later after that whole slugs and thugs thing came out. And like, look, I, I just want to say like, I'm not, look, you, you, he fucked up. All right. He obviously fucked up and it doesn't matter what the reasoning was. If, if it was unintentional, intentional, he fucked up. No, I'm sorry. It was like the scene was now looking like the bad boys pistons out there. Yeah, no, no. And, and, and it's, and it's like, you know, look, here's the thing. The guy has coached for like 40 fucking years. <laughs> I have never once heard a single, I haven't seen one quote from him before. I haven't seen a rumor from before. I haven't seen any like unnamed sources before indicate that Beeline is like this fucking totalitarian no, neo Nazi that always. The mad were the white dudes. Yeah. Like, like I don't, like he, he, he doesn't, he doesn't seem like a guy that. I mean, he's never had anything before that indicates that he uses coded language or anything like that, right? And 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 so my thing with anyway, just just to move beyond that, but like when I saw he got fired, right? My thought was like, okay, that's understandable. I don't, re- I don't, I don't actually like. I think it's fine when teams fire coaches fast. Like, I don't think that is a sign of a terrible organization. Uh, as much as like, if you have multiple coaches that you fire fast, um, but like, my thing with that was, you hired a developmental coach, right? Like you, which makes sense. Like you, you had a young guard, and you drafted another young guard, two young guards, right? Like Garland mm-hmm. and K- KPJ. Yeah. Um, like Beeline theoretically is a great coach for young guards that are developing, and if you're going to be a rebuilding team, which like coming into the season i think everybody even cleveland as an organization itself had an understanding of like we're a rebuilding team that's fine but like you chose to extend kevin love to this fucking contract that is basically untradeable if you're asking for assets and maybe if you're just not attaching assets to it maybe it's untradeable then you've got tristan thompson and like you've got all these vets and you did nothing really to like clear these guys out or like yeah. get so, there yeah. so like i just find, i i feel like i i find it hard to believe that when he took the job the you know like i feel like there must have been a conversation of like look like what's our goal develop these young guys okay i can do that and it's like that's fine and he was doing that is what i think but like but the part that he sucked at and this is obviously the difference coming from college to the pros is like he didn't know how to like massage Kevin Love's fucking ego and Tristan Thompson's ego. Like, like that's part of the game, and he sucked at that. But like at the same time, the front office owed him to like not make that a headache for him. And I think really like that's the failure. And I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. That's just like my theory, anyway. You, you can. Yeah. yeah, I think you're getting at two important points. So, so point one is. It was not necessarily a firing. So Beeline technically is still with the organization. Mm-hmm. They just moved him. And in large part, it sounds like Beeline was so frustrated with coaching in the NBA that he basically asked, like he gave up the remainder of his contract and basically was like, I'll work you guys for you guys for the rest of the year. And then I'm going to go back to college. And so, so I think that's part one, right? That Beeline was just miserable. But part two 
is I think part of the reason Beeline was miserable is the Cavs stuck him with guys like Kevin Love, Jordan Clarkson, Tristan Thompson. Um, the, these vets that like, for like, I, I mean, I don't know, like maybe being a player is different and like you always want to believe you're really good at your job. But like, I don't know how you look at your teammates or look at this roster and be like, you know what? We can compete in the East. Like, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Like, I don't I don't know what these guys were expecting. Like it's not like they're two pieces away either. Like this team sucks. Like <laughs> Chetty Osman is arguably Chetty Osman and Larry Nance Jr., who are guys. Like they are guys. They are Jeff Greens. They are guys. They're they're like two of your top five players on the team. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so like I, I don't know. Like Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson have been on title teams and like Admittedly, they had LeBron James on those teams, but like you gotta know what a fucking guy is. Like they played with Amon Shumpert. Amon Shumpert's a guy. Like <laughs> these guys are Amon Shumperts. And I, so I, I don't know like what they expected, but I mean, all everything that's come out is it, even including from Kevin Love is that they gave Beeline just a terrible time. And like Beeline did a few things. Like he called a play polar bear. And I don't even remember what the fucking play was, but it really pissed some of the veterans off. That like, why? Why does that matter? About can I just like like this entire there was in, this entire thing like early and early because this entire year like you guys have had leaks from the organization like which is clearly because most of it's been from Shams and Shams yeah. just like sucks players and their agents' yeah. dick yeah. for information. So like clearly that's coming from them. Like who the fuck cares what he calls plays? Like, why does that matter? Oh, it's childish. Who cares, bro? Like, you know what's childish? Is being fucking, like, I'll tell you what. Like, I gotta just, I, I have to get this off my chest. Because fuck Kevin Love. I am so yeah. sick of this fucking guy. <laughs> I am so fucking sick of this idiot. Like, this guy, what was it, a year ago, two years ago, whatever the fuck it was. He comes out and he talks about, you know, he, and it's, it's an admirable thing, right? He talks about depression, how it's bad, blah, blah, blah. Uh, like it's tough to deal with especially in the public spotlight and i think everybody can appreciate that like that honesty we can appreciate that yeah and, and it is hard it is tough to talk about that okay so then this fucking guy who sits there and talks about how it's so hard to be depressed as an athlete and have to own that and blah 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 blah, blah and everybody fucking loves him now because he said this shit and nba media loves him because he does that and he talks to them and he's quote-unquote honest whatever the fuck that means um like then this guy makes it a point this year to just take a gigantic shit on Beeline constantly. And it's like, are you fucking serious right now? Like, and nobody wants to talk about this. Nobody wants it. I haven't seen one fucking hit piece on this motherfucker. I'll yeah. guarantee you one thing. If this like mellow, this guy was in New York, got fucking marginalized in his prime when he was actually legit. Yeah. Very good. It was being marginalized by Mike D'Antoni because Mike D'Antoni wanted to fucking like have him be a spot up corner shooter. Okay. He got marginalized for quitting on him, not for fucking bitching him out, not for like constantly taking the piss out of him in practice or whatever the fuck. Just, just for, you know, you know, basically like not giving it his all. Kevin Love was out here like not just like not giving it his all. But basically, in front of the entire team, constantly like undermining—not even undermining—is like a light phrase to use. That would yeah. that would mean that like he was doing some under. He was out in the open. He was yeah. basically just being like, "Fuck you, you're trash. I'm bigger than you, and I'm not going anywhere. So I'm just gonna take a shit on you." 
And like that's what this guy did for the entire fucking season. And nobody wants to. Zach Lowe won't say anything about it. Fucking Howard Beck's bitch ass definitely won't say anything about it. Frank Isola. None of these fucking guys. Name a national NBA media guy. None of them are going to say it. They're not going to say anything about it. They won't say a fucking word about it. They won't. And the fact of the matter is, he he should be getting shit on twenty four seven because what he did this year is absolute garbage. I don't care. Like, you're getting paid $30 million a year, okay? And I, I'm sorry that it sucks that Cleveland isn't good, but you signed the fucking contract because you knew if you hit the open market, you were not going to get that kind of money. So you right. signed that extension because you wanted to guarantee your fucking money. And now you're mad because they can't trade your ass? Shut the fuck up. Just shut the fuck up, play your fucking minutes, and get the fuck out of here. Like, I don't want to hear anything about, oh, oh the Cavs are doing him dirty. Like, free Kevin Love. Fuck Kevin Love, okay? Like, fuck this guy and fuck all his bullshit this year. Well, so I think you guys, like, the reason I think you guys are a year ahead of us is you made this mistake when you hired Fisdale and, like, have since adjusted. Um, but, but so, like, the Knicks, like, you guys, the veterans you have on your team, like Taj Gibson, have more or less bought into the fact that this is just a re like they came to the Knicks knowing this more or less is a rebuilding situation. Like I think the best thing about that Porzingis trade was like, everything. You guys just admitted it, right? <laughs> like, like you know what, rebuilding, <laughs> yeah. and that's good. And if you want to compete, you probably like Julius Randall for as frustrating as he can be. Like Julius Randall knows why he's in New York, right? Like he knows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, he 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 loses sight of it at times during games. Where, but yeah, like I I I hear you. Like I think I think more than more than even that. I think they 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 sign guys that like aren't like they're not. I mean, first of all, the contracts assigned these guys to, they kind of already know that like they're not in control of the situation. And then second, like I just think you know whatever we say about Mills and Perry. And the flaws of what they did, I think it is to their credit that like you have a team with all these guys and expiring contracts, basically. Yeah. And like, mm-hmm. and and it's been a a tough year. Like, just got off to a really shitty start. And at no point has there been any, not even a single report of like, you know, locker room turmoil and guys butting heads constantly and like there's none of that so no, like i think if nothing else, they, they, they clearly got the personality end of it right yeah well and so i think like the problem the Cavs have had for two years and this is a dan gilbert having a gm that's like four years old problem like i don't know if you guys have seen kobe altman but i'm pretty sure like he's not 30 like he's like a kid <laughs> um and I think a big part of the problem is that the Cavs like give Kevin Love this monster deal, and they tell Kevin Love we are set to compete even without LeBron. Like we're going to compete. And then Tristan Thompson, who like to be fair, has pretty much bought in. Like you're still selling Tristan Thompson on that we're going to compete, and we know that because Tristan Thompson has said to the media like when they came back after LeBron left, Tyloo was the coach, and they had J.R. Smith on the roster. I mean, so like now like. Maybe that sounds absurd. Like, how the fuck do you think Tyloo and J.R. Smith are going to make you a competitor? But, like, the Cavs were not, like, did not have an organizational, like, consistent game plan. And I think that's, like, Kevin Love was sold on this idea we were going to compete. I think the Drummond trade is this weird kind of, like, hey, Kevin, like, listen, we can't trade you because your contract's, like, an albatross. And we don't want to give up two first-round picks to move you. So we're going to bring in this guy that 
really is not going to help us win at all. And like we know that because he's never helped a team win. And <laughs> and, and we're gonna, but but you guys are friends and you share an agent, and so we're gonna like sell you out. And they just don't have like a vision. And I think the Knicks, to your guys's credit, I even think the Hawks, to a certain degree, at least up until this trade deadline, like if you just admit you're gonna suck for a little bit, and then use that period to sign veterans that kind of know what they're there for and develop young players. I think that's really big. And I think Memphis has done that. I think Toronto, I mean, to a lesser extent because they've been good, but these teams, like teams that are kind of Oklahoma city, like you bring in veterans that know why they're there and you bring in coaches, you bring in GMs. Like this was the beeline problem. Like they brought in beeline to be a developmental guy. They also brought in like a 65 year old coach to be a developmental guy. And it's just like this inconsistency in what they're doing. And that's what's been frustrating as a Cavs fan. It's just like, what is your guys' vision? Because it, like, if it's bringing in vets and bringing in coaches that think they're going to win, that's dumb. If it's bringing in coaches that think they're their developed players but telling the veterans they're there because they're going to win, that's also dumb. So like, what are you doing? And I think the Knicks, like, I even think the Leon Rose move fits like you guys really are on a two-year window right the idea is next year maybe you draft somebody good maybe sign somebody good in free agency but then 2021 is really when you kind of make that turn and like there seems to be a clear vision even under like perry and mills like there seemed to be that vision like that vision was always there yeah like it's it might be a misguided vision it might be like a stupid vision even but it is like it is a vision at least and at least like the the logic of all the moves kind of lines up with the idea of like okay well we're gonna take a big swing in twenty twenty one free agency right so like there's there's a vision that you're working towards and and I actually don't think that should be like the vision um I think the vision should be like hey look let's we got these young guys let's like prioritize their development and then let's let's use the fact that we have all this cap flexibility and potential open cap space this summer to like add more picks to an extent but also like let's take a risk on some younger guys like let's fucking offer fred van vliet you know two years 60 million i think you guys van vliet bertans and uh the guy from the kings bogdanovich you guys should just offer all of them just massive deals yeah just like give them like two years fucking bloated ass contracts and and see what happens like i think that's fine and and that would be that would be like my thing like i disagree with the my assumption is the vision is like yeah yeah, yeah. we we can sell Giannis and the fucking garden and leon rose and whatever the fuck like because that's what the knicks do i mean i think that's a stupid vision but at least it's a vision like i i understand it it's stupid but it's a vision with the Cavs, i don't really understand like because my assumption of what the Cavs' vision was, like, before this year, I believe all, basically all of your big money deals, before they signed the Kevin Love extension, all the big money was coming off the books at the end of this year. Correct. Um, and then they signed Kevin Love to this extension, which I don't think, is is this the first year of the extension, or does it only kick in next year? I think, it, no, so this is year one. This is year one, but it's yeah. a five-year extension, so we got another... I think three years guaranteed in one year option. Right. So like you got that. So they do that. And even then you're like, okay, well maybe like that's just them protecting their ass and they're going to, but then they like trade for Exum who has another extra year guaranteed. 
And then you do the Drummond trade, who's like not guaranteed, but it's not clear. He's, he's gonna picking up that. his option. Yeah, he's going to pick up the option. And like, I just, I, I don't really understand. Like, like you said, like, there's no, I, like, I actually don't mind taking a risk on Drummond, right? Like, I get that. He, you didn't really give up anything for him. So that's fine. Like, you gave up what, like a second round pick? Like, whatever. Yeah. That, that's not a big deal. But it's like, like you said, like, are you are you trying to like sell? Are you just trying to make Kevin Love happy? Like, is that what's happening here? And if you're trying to make Kevin Love happy, how does that reconcile with the fact that like you're very clearly you got what you got two lotto picks in the team? You're gonna have a third one next year. You got Kevin Porter Jr., who they really like. Uh, they drafted Dylan Windler, who hasn't gotten any minutes because he's been injured, but like. You know, obviously, you know, they're a young guy. They like, like they got Chetty Osman, who they like. There's a lot of young guys in this team that they seem to like. But if you like these guys, I just don't understand, like, the wisdom of a lot of the moves. Like, even Exum, like, I like Exum, what fine, and I don't think it's a bad risk to take. But he's another, like, he is a player that obviously, like, needs reps and needs time and needs to be on the ball. And it's like, you know, you already have Sexton, you already have Garland, so who are you building around here? What are you doing? And and I, I don't know. With the, the Cavs just can't really seem to make up their mind to me about, like, or just set a course of, like, if you want the vision to be in 2022, we're going to have a clear cap and we'll have a better read on all these young guys, that's fine. Just do that. But, like, to me, it just seems like they were all in on development and, and you know, getting the clap the cap clear. Clap clear. Well, that's one thing. Uh, the cap clear by 2020, like this summer. And then it just seems like they made moves that find the face of that. And I don't, I don't know. It, it, it all seems like it, it really just seems to me like I don't think any of the moves they have made in a vacuum are necessarily bad. But when you look at it in terms of like, okay, what's the vision? It's really hard to find a common thread, right? Like, what is the common logic of all of these moves? So I actually think there is a vision. I just, I, I don't, I, I think anybody with a brain questions the wisdom. And so the vision to me is that they realized literally a day after they signed Kevin Love to this five-year Supermax, we really shouldn't have done that because he has a degenerative back condition or it seems that way. I, I don't know if it is, but like it seems every year the back condition gets worse, including when LeBron was here. And they're like, and we can't trade him. And that we know that because both Lowe and Windhorst have independently reported that the Cavs would have to attach a serious asset to trade Kevin Love. Like we're talking like Colin Sexton or first round pick type asset to even trade Kevin Love. Mm-hmm. And so then the team is like, well, crap, like we're stuck with this money and it's taking up almost a third of the salary cap every year. What do you do, especially when he's going to be a whiny kind of like pouting on the court, not getting back on defense, which is what he's done all season. Like people like to like Cleveland fans, like I see on Twitter all the time, like, oh, well, he's averaging 18 points, 10 rebounds. And like he'll every once in a while have these like 30 point games. But it, like that, that's irrelevant if you're giving up 40 to 50 points just literally by not getting back on defense. Um, <laughs> and so I think the team like I think the drum trade it's actually fairly easy to explain in the sense that they saw two things, right? One was that how the fuck do we make Kevin Love happy so he at least tries? 
let's get his friend here. And then two was our guards suck at defense. And so maybe if we get like a big seven foot one guy that ostensibly is good at defense, even if he's not, but like, at least like we can pretend he is like, maybe that'll help our guards, like giving them a role threat. I think the problem they may have not realized is that I, I don't think it's crazy to say Tristan Thompson is a better player than Andre Drummond. Um, like, I just don't. I think Tristan does things that Andre Drummond doesn't do. And while they're not as flashy, like Tristan's never going to put up 20 and 20. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't matter if Tristan is like actually mobile on defense, which he is. Um, like you can play Tristan in small ball lineups. Right. And so I, I think the Drummond trade was fine, but you miss out on things, right? So the Knicks next summer can be the Nets from a few years ago where they just offered all these guys these max contracts. And like in the world, like you get Fred Van Vliet, that's huge because he's a really good player. But if you don't, like you literally fuck Toronto, right? It, if right. you get a guy like a Bertans, like great. If not, that means the Wizards have to offer him a max deal for a few years. Like, so you're 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 in a no lose situation, and the Cavs got rid of that. And so I I just and the other problem, like you guys have Nidalekina who and and R J Barrett and Mitch that are guys that like already even as young guys, even if not as much as maybe like you would want out of a young like core piece, they contribute to winning. Like Nidalekina is just a smart player; he defends really well. R J Barrett is like surprisingly a really good defender. I was watching the Knicks Pacers game the other night and I was like, like damn, he's good at defense. Like yeah, he really oh, is. And, and and then Mitch is like really, really good. Like he's a center yeah. and I just he's just like, really stupid about fouls. But yeah, yeah he is obviously very like, good. That's gotten better this year. I like I remember reading a stat that like he started the season averaging like close to six fouls per 36 minutes and now he's think, down to like I half. think it was like seven yeah, wow. I think it was yeah, a, it was like a bugs. <laughs> yeah, like he's gotten better, and like these are guys that it like you can sell a veteran like Taj Gibson on. Like, listen, like I guess he's starting for center for you guys at center for you guys, but like generally, you're, the vision you're selling Taj Gibson on is like we're gonna pay you a lot of money for a year, and we need you to mentor these young guys. Right, and Taj will buy in. Like Bobby Portis is another guy. Like, listen, we're gonna pay you a lot of money. You're gonna come in. And just mentor these guys, do your best. <laughs> and, and But, like, you can sell that when you have young guys that are good. And the Cavs just, like, Colin Sexton's fun to watch. He kind of, he's an idiot. But, like, he's fun <laughs> to watch. And, and, like, you just, like, at the best you're saying is, like, listen, we have this guy that may be the worst, like, plus-minus player in the NBA. But it's only because we're starting him. And, yes, <laughs> we're going to start him the rest of the season. But But, like... But but he's fun. Like it's just much more difficult to sell veterans on that, and then it's much more difficult to develop like this vision, especially then when you trade for Dante Axum and play Matt Delvadova major minutes. Yeah, I mean, like the other thing too that I mean, frankly, like New York versus Cleveland, like you know, it's obviously like it's New York. Yeah, right. It's it's a, yeah. it makes it a much easier. It's like, hey, yeah, do you want to get paid a bunch to just like be a good vet and hang out in New York for a year? Like, yeah, sure, why not? Right. Um, and you know, Portis is Portis. I I don't oh, really know what to say God. about that guy. Um, he's got like a very irrational confidence. Like the guy, literally, at least once a game, he'll he'll 
start posting up from like 20 feet out, which is no Portis and like Dion waiters are my poster child for just irrational confidence guys. Like these guys are (laughs) terrible at what they do, but they just, they know they're the best. (laughs) I don't know. It's just like, it's like traumatizing. Even just thinking about Bobby Portis play basketball. You know, what's crazy though is Portis. Like I think Portis and Milikina have, the the highest like two man net rating on the Knicks that would that honestly wouldn't surprise me because I feel like just I don't know it just kind of makes sense in a weird like Knicks way. So I, I mean, I, mean so, I think like it's, you know go ahead go ahead. I, like, I'm just gonna I think Nidalekina is actually a really good player. Like I I think he is kind of one of those like secret analytics guys that like weird parts of like NBA Twitter really like. Except like they he's don't Kogi. because he's on the Knicks, which is like weird to me. But, like, he, like, by every metric, like, I think leads your team in, like, probably, I guess, like, my guess would be, like, wins created this season. Because he's just a really good defender. He's a really smart player. And he's a decent passer. Like, I think that helps a lot. And then when you have a guy like Bobby Portis, who's just a really dumb player, but, like, has a lot of athletic gifts, they balance each other out. Yeah, I mean, like, the thing with Frank, basically, for, you know, as long as he's been with the Knicks it's it's like very annoying how stupid the Knicks have managed him on a rookie contract because like basically he he with an elite rim protector is an automatic plus lineup and then he's also really good with like pick and pop bigs yeah like pick Mm -hmm. and roll big like it's like a very very basic thing and it's not i'm not even saying like like i personally don't think frank is you know he's not a long like he's not the primary ball handler guy we need all right i'm not like under this delusion of frank is he's gonna make this huge leap and become like an amazing primary ball handler like i don't think that what i think is that he is a player who like can be in your eight or nine man rotation and he can be your primary for spurts. He can be in a two guard lineup for spurts. He can be a defensive specialist. Like he is a guy that gives you a lot of flexibility with what you do with your lineups. And any non retard organization would like probably utilize that well. Um, but like we're the Knicks. So, well, guys, like you guys are really bad pick and roll defense team, like as a general rule, but Frank Nidalkin is probably top 10. Like, I think by synergy, he's something like between ninth and twelfth best pick and roll defensive guard in the NBA. Yeah. So like it's like he's probably even better than that, right? Because that's just like these points per possession numbers where you get. Yeah, he he was points. he was number one by that metric his rookie season. I know. Yeah, that. I mean that like that's really valuable because guess what? Like unless you're Houston or Golden State, you run a lot of pick and roll in this league. Like. Yeah. You do. You run a lot of pick and roll. That's really valuable. That's really, really valuable. Well, it's yeah. not only well if you pretty much if you swapped Frank for Dante DiVincenzo or Alex Caruso, mm-hmm. you we, we, they would be they would be in like that same sort of light. You know yeah. what I'm saying in terms of like what Frank would do to be like, oh my god, look at this role player who's contributing, winning yeah. basketball for intangibles. Like he would be putting up the same advanced metrics and all these sort of things if he was on a winning team as like that extra like that extra piece which is kind of interesting to uh see because if uh Dante DiVincenzo or uh, Alex Cruz are on the Knicks right now losing people would be losing their minds about how like bad these players are we'd be having the same 
and we would have the same conversation. conversations. And it'd be like, I would be sitting there being like, hey, look, like, I know DiVincenzo is shooting like shit from the field, but like, yay, you know, his defense is really good. And he's really good at like recovering to his man once he gets set in a pick and roll. And it's like, mm-hmm. and people will be like, oh, you're just making excuses for him. Like, like I'm not, like, I, the thing with Frank that's just so bizarre to me is like, I'm not making an excuse for him. Like, I'm not, I'm not even arguing. I don't even think he's, I don't know if he's a starter on a good team. Like, all I think is that it's very obvious that a good team would use a player. Like, if you have a prime, like, for example, Philly, okay? T's Thibault. Go yeah. look at, just do a fucking, a, a, a very basic, go on basketball reference, compare their fucking per 36, per 100 possessions, all that shit, okay? There's no difference. There's literally no difference. There's very, or not, not that there's no difference, but they basically arrive to the same level of impact, okay? Mm-hmm. And the only difference is one plays with Ben Simmons and one sporadically gets benched for like Dennis Smith Jr. to go shit the bed for five minutes. Like, I don't know what, like, I don't know what that means, but it doesn't like, and this idea that like, oh, well, three coaches have decided not to start Frank. So I must mean something. It doesn't mean shit. It really doesn't mean anything because. Like, well, Pistol's I, an idiot. That's, yeah, Pistol's that a fucking moron. And, and Hornacek was just. You know, whatever. I don't even think Hornacek really did a bad job with Frank. Like, he he at least gave him a consistent role every night, and he, he played him every played, night. Yeah, he played him every night. Like, so clearly he closed games to them, and he was playing well. So clearly, like, he didn't think Frank sucked. He just didn't think Frank was ready to be a starting point guard. Which, hey, look, I don't think Frank's ready to be a starting point guard right now. I don't know if he'll ever be ready to be a starting. Well, point we also guard. can't slander the god Jared Jack either. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I just, I, I just don't. I, I think the entire Frank conversation has like lost any sense of objectivity because both, like, like, because I, as what, like, as stupid as I find the like the endless, like he's a bust criticism, I also find like the constant excuse making for him fucking tiresome too. Like, oh well, you can't judge his offense because uh, they're trying. No, like they, Frank needs to be able to come up the fucking floor. See Portis ask for the ball in the post and be like, get the fuck out of here. I'm not giving you the ball in the post. <laughs> like, he needs to come up the floor after he runs a, a successful pick and roll and call for, for fucking another pick and roll. Like, this is not complex stuff, and he needs to have the confidence to do that. So, like, excusing that is also stupid. But, like, at the same time, pretending, like, I mean, I is it fun to just be like, oh, well, he's a bust. Like, he could have had Donovan. Like, I want to see the receipts. Everybody that says we should have drafted Donovan Mitchell, show me, show me, show me your opinion before the draft. Show me who you wanted before the draft. And if you said Donovan Mitchell, okay, I agree with you. Nobody said that. Everybody wanted fucking Dennis. The entire thing as soon as we drafted him was, oh, the Knicks passed up on Dennis Smith Jr. Oh, the Knicks passed up on Malik Monk. I didn't hear shit about passing up on. I honestly don't remember one fucking person being like, can't believe the Knicks passed up on Donovan Mitchell. I don't no, remember so- one person. Nobody said that. Does Nick's Twitter have the same like problem Cavs Twitter is, which is like has, which is just like this idea where like people just, like Colin Sexton, like to be like Colin Sexton, the eighth overall pick, like it was that or Shea. And Shea said literally he does not want to play in Cleveland. So like there, you didn't have another option. And everybody like, and I see this with like Tristan Thompson too, like, oh, well, they could have had Kawhi Leonard. Nobody was fucking talking. Like it, it just <laughs> depressed. Twitter just like genuinely a really depressing place. Because people just choose to like be the most negative on like the like things that there's no reason to be negative on. Like Frank is a really good player. 
I, I think there's an argument that he is your most impactful player on a night-to-night basis. By, by like, on-off, he is. Yeah. Like, Tristan Thompson won a fucking title as a starting center. Like, to be fair, LeBron was on the team, but, like, he was the starting center. Like, I, I just, I don't, and, like, Cavs Twitter is really bad about the draft, and they're just, like, really negative all the time. Like, yeah, the team sucks. Like, if it makes you so upset, don't fucking watch the team. Hey. I I hear you. I, I I think with the draft, it's always like, look, you cannot judge a draft pick by like the best player picked after that draft pick. Right. Like the way you judge a draft pick is by historic standards. And like this has been my fucking point with Frank and to a lesser degree Knox, who I think might just suck. Like I'm not giving up on the kid because he's 20 and like, you know, he's still growing into his body and all that shit. But, like, with Frank, like, he had an elite skill from day one to hang his hat on. So as he entered the NBA, I was like, okay, I know for sure this guy is an elite defensive player. I know this. I know that for a fact. And, like, at an eighth overall pick, go look, go look down the last 20, 30 years of eighth overall picks. Not a lot of all-stars there. Uh not a lot of Hall of Famers. Are there not a lot Hall of guys of that have become like quality, quality starters. Like you're, you're looking like honestly, once you get out of the top five, most of the time, if you're just hitting on a rotation piece, you're doing all right. You're doing yeah. pretty well. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and and like it's really as simple as that. And it, I mean, the other thing too with like Frank and just like all of our young guys in general is. When nobody is improving at shooting, when none of your young guys are improving at shooting, I cease to put the blame on them as players as much as there's an inherent organization. Like, there is no reason that Frank should come in at age 18 and OG and an OB should come in at the same age or whatever. I think, I think he's a year older, but year older. I get you. Yeah. There's, there's no reason these guys should come into the league at the same time. And one guy should be shooting fucking 40% from the Whatever the hell he's shooting this year. And the other guy is just has has basically stayed the same in terms of three point shooting, right? And if Frank was like a bad free throw shooter, then I would maybe be a little bit more understanding. But Frank's shooting like eighty seven percent from the free throw line this year. Yeah, okay? it's like good. it's good. And, yeah, and his mechanics aren't broke. So at that point, and like this is my thing with Knox too. And like, yes, I know Knox's free throw shooting has like dropped off this year or whatever. But you just watch that guy shoot with his. The, there's clearly something happening here where we are not developing guys and are improving their skills or like adding layers to their skills, right? Whereas I feel like you see an organization like Toronto and it's like incrementally guys get better, whether it be perfecting existing skills or adding new skills to their repertoire. And like, I don't know what that, that necessarily means. But what I do know is that Frank, even with his limited offensive skill set, is a player who, look, like, I think if you, again, if you put him with, like, a couple of high-usage stars, they'd probably love to play with Frank. Because Frank would be, like, desperate to pass on the ball at all times. And he'd be like, oh, no, no, I'll defend the best guy in their team. Don't worry about it. I got it. Like, I just don't see, like, it's just not... It's not logical to me to look at a player like him and be like, he's a bust. If you want to say, like, if your argument is that, I mean, if you just want to say, like, 
Donovan Mitchell is a better player? Yeah, hundred percent. You know, like obviously, if you were like, "Hey, would you trade Frank for Donovan Mitchell?" I'm not a fucking idiot. Like, <laughs> yes, I would trade Frank for Donovan Mitchell. But like, that's not here or there, and that really wasn't even the debate on draft night. Like, you know, like I mean, this happens all the time with the draft too. Like, people were like, like if the Spurs drafted, you know, fucking seventh in whatever that draft was, was that 2013 draft? The the Kawhi or whatever that draft was, the Kawhi draft, like twenty eleven or twenty twelve, whatever it was. Yeah. Like if they draft if they if they trade with the Pacers and the Pacers ended up actually had like the fifth pick, guess what? They're not taking Kawhi. They're not no. taking Kawhi. No. And and it's like you can you have to kind of like look within the range that you pick and then be like, okay, well we should like like with Knox, I think it's fair to be like, oh yeah, well SGA was clearly a better pick. Okay. That's fair. I, I don't remember anybody banging the table for SGA at the time. Um, but like, I, I guess it's fair. It's fine. But like, I mean, okay. Yes. I guess Mikal Bridges is better than Knox. Is Mikal Bridges like so much better that we should be fucking killing ourselves because we pass on him? Like, don't, I don't think so. I mean, Miles Bridges, Miles Bridges, a guy again, he's a, he's Miles a guy. I, I think he's worse than a guy, man. But, <laughs> <laughs> but dude, like, it's like saying Sexton is a guy like. Yeah, like, he has a lot of talent, but, man, like, Miles Bridges, like, has not had one game where it's been like, yeah, he was positively impactful there. No, it's like, oh, he showed, did you see that layup he made? Like, he got past that one guy and he made a layup. Like, <laughs> it's just, I don't, I don't know that he's that good. That's, yeah. I mean, that, that's totally fair. I haven't watched, I don't watch the Hornets at all. Like, I refuse to watch that team. I do, I have been enjoying the fact that, like, Devonte Graham has, I mean, not look. He's obviously he's a good player. He's fine. Like he he's done a good job this year. But people are talking about him as an all star, and it's like, yeah. So the funny thing is, Devonte Graham when he's not shooting fucking forty five percent from three, sucks at everything else basically when it comes <laughs> to scoring the basketball. But he still shoots a lot. So you know, I think he's shooting like thirty seven percent from three and thirty seven percent from the field overall. Yeah, probably probably a sign that like a guy that's being stretched beyond the optimal uh, point of his usage, and ultimately like that's kind of like what the NBA is like. You're trying to find guys that you can use and then put them in the right spots, and it's like you know we this is something that like so Bill Belichick has talked about this a lot uh, in football, where he talks about like you know a lot of coaches always they, they focus on what a guy can't do, right? And what he says is when he signs a guy, when he goes in free agency or the draft or whatever, he doesn't ask himself what they can't do. He tries to like value. He's like, okay, well, what can you do? And then once you figure out what they can do and if they're on the roster, then he's like, okay, so how do I maximize this skill? And I feel like like Frank is like this and um, Mitch to a certain extent is like this too, where it's like we get so focused on what these guys cannot do and we lose sight of like what they can do. And like I think Sexton is like this too, in the sense that like he's not a good he's a terrible starting point guard. If Colin Sexton is your starting point guard, you're gonna be a fucking lottery team forever. If Colin Sexton is your sixth man, it's a different conversation. Okay. Yeah. Colin Sexton is like a guy that you just comes in off the bench and you're like, give him the ball, and you're like, all right, go supercharge our offense for five minutes. Like he can do that probably. And and that's fine. And like I think the Clippers are gonna have this problem in the playoffs this year. We're like, I, I think it's very different to give Lou Williams the ball and be like, hey, um, 
we need you and Montres Hell to just run pick and roll 500 times and like get as many points as you can versus like, hey, we need you to run the point with Kawhi and PG and Montrez on the floor and keep everybody happy and also like get the offense organized. Like, I just don't see how like that's a op- that's a not an optimal role for Lou Williams. And it's ultimately, like, I guess what I'm saying is like, you have to find guys, find an optimal role, and then you have to create rosters to like keep those guys in those roles, right? So it's like always, it's always easier to find a Frank than it is to find a Ben Simmons, right? Obviously, like it's way easier to find role players than it is to find stars. That doesn't mean that like you should just like it doesn't mean role players are busts or that like you should trade where role players. Like, what is the point of the Knicks trading Frank right now? Right? There's no point. The Knicks suck. We're not going anywhere at this moment. So why the fuck are we trading a young player who has a definite skill set and like looks to be a solid rotation player for the next five, six, seven, eight years, whatever, right? Like, like with Knox, if if the Knicks were good, I would understand trading Knox and Frank and and maybe even Mitch. Okay, like I would understand those arguments because then you're like, then you're talking about moving up the win curve. The Knicks aren't like you're not getting anything for these guys that's moving up the win curve that is of value, right? Like. You're not packaging those three together, and you're not going to— Like, if you package Mitch, Frank, and Knox, you're going to get, like, Davis Bertans. <laughs> like, that's what you're going to get. Like, you're not going to get some fucking, like, big star piece in return. And if that's the case, why the hell would you even entertain trading these guys? It's not worth it. It's just not. Like, it doesn't make any sense to— um, And I don't know. Like, that's, that's kind of where I am with, like, the Knicks, where I just think the Knicks need to, like— just be okay with rebuilding for a while. Like it's not that big of a deal. Like stop fucking playing all these older guys and, and leaning into their shitty fucking needs. Like just focus on your young guys that play together that like seem to actually have some synergy and, and go with that for a year because nothing is happening. Like look at the major free agents 2020. Okay. You're not getting anybody. that's going to make you fucking awesome. There's no moves we made this summer. that are going to make you awesome. Just fucking take your medicine for a year, play your young guys, and, and roll with it and see what happens in a year's time. There's no rush to do anything. Yeah. No, I mean, like, I so something I've, that's always bugged me about the NBA in general, like NBA teams are terrible at this, and NBA Twitter is even worse, is that, like, so, like, take a set like RPM, right? Like, any talking I can tell you, RPM tells you who the best players are. That's bullshit. RPM tells you who the best players are and the role they play. Mm-hmm. And, and so, like, a guy like Jay Crowder for a year was, like, ranked as one of the 10 best players in the NBA. Like, I'm sorry, anybody can tell you Jay Crowder is not a top 10 player. Like, Jay Crowder is <laughs> a guy who's really good. He has a really defined skill set. And he uses that skill set in a role as a bench guy or, like, a wing that doesn't take a lot of shots to make you better, right? Like, Robert Covington's the same, like, I don't know, like, I generally pretty much like what Houston does. I I think their strategy for winning this year is good. But, like, I'm sorry, Robert Covington is a guy. Like, if you think Robert Covington is going to make the difference between you beating the Lakers and losing the Lakers, you're wrong. Like, he's just, like, there are these guys that RPM says is really good because all that means is RPM is saying they're really good in their roles, right? And, like, if you're rebuilding team, I think the common mistake to make is to say, like, oh, well, let's try taking these guys out of their roles, giving them more responsibility. And while it's good to develop, like, I think something the Knicks have done really well with Frank, like, Frank isn't a starting point guard. Like, he probably is not. But 
he most definitely is a rotation guy, like in probably a pretty important one. And so you play him in that role. RJ Barrett, we don't know yet. He may become not just a starter, but he could become a star. Like if he can maintain this level of defense and become like beyond just a horrid shooter, he's probably a really, really good NBA player. But so like RJ Barrett's guy, I understand. Like you just want to give him the ball and like let him fail if he fails, but you want to see what happens. Um, but like NBA team just in general, like the Cavs are doing it with Sexton. Um, the, frankly, I think the Knicks are doing it with Kevin Knox. Like I'm just, I'm like I, Knox. I don't know what his role in the NBA is. And maybe you play him. So you figure out what that role is, but I just don't think he's that good, but that's okay. Like it's mm-hmm. okay. Nobody hits on hundred percent of draft t- draft picks. Even the best teams like name me one guy outside of Kawhi Leonard. The Spurs have without a doubt hit on since Kawhi Leonard. Murray? Maybe? I would, I would say Murray. I mean, he's been yeah. injured, but that's, that's I would say they yeah, definitely Murray's hit on Murray's a good player. Yeah, but like, you're not hitting, even the best teams aren't hitting 100%. And that's okay. Like, the best teams give these guys time to develop. They figure out the roles, and then they find a guy, find a star. Do you know who has the, uh, the best RAPM single season between the Cavs and the Knicks? I do this not. year, this year, just single season. I'm not doing a three year or five year. It's got to be Frank, right? Close. He's number two. Number one is Matthew Delavadova at uh-huh. a whopping zero point six nine RAPM. <laughs> isn't like isn't like Delhi like kind of the perfect example of this kind of yeah. thing? Where like he's a guy that has a role on a team, but then he gets paid. And then all of a sudden people are pissed because he's not provide. Like that's always like, it's always about money, like contract value to roll. Right. So a guy like Caruso can get praised because what he provides is super value at his price point. Now when Caruso, if Caruso gets what did Delvadova get? I think he got like four forty million. Right? Uh, yeah, it was twelve million a year. Yeah, so whatever, whatever that was, three thirty six, four forty eight, whatever it was. Yeah. Um, like if Caruso gets that, then you have to adjust what you're expecting from it. And then if he's providing the same thing and he's just like this plus minus hero who doesn't actually do anything, and he he's more of like a driver of success alongside the real driver of success, aka LeBron or pick a star. That's not enough. Right. right. And like, that's kind of the thing with Frank where that's why I don't think he is a starting caliber point guard or guard, because I don't think he does enough to initiate success. But if you put him in lineups with guys that kind of have that initiate initiator, you know, ability, then he becomes valuable. And like that. And like, the thing is, like, nobody's going to offer this. Like, the Nick can probably sign Frank this summer for $28 million extension. I, I, I'm almost positive they could because, like, you know, what, he's going to say no to that. He's not going to say no to that. It's guaranteed. If, like, that's guaranteed. Like, that's like, whatever we think about 20, like, we lose sight of, like, what money means when we talk about the NBA. But you get $28 million guaranteed. It's basically like, if you're not a complete fucking idiot, you should be okay for the rest of your life. Right. Yeah. That's like, that's like really good money. And I think you can get Frank for that. And at that price, like, 
then you're comparing him to, you know, basically like sub mid level level like caliber players. And I think Frank is clearly providing more value than that. Um, or like, you know, you get what I mean anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like that, that's like kind of like my my thinking with, you know, with the NBA and like the Knicks specifically is it, it's it's about signing like. I think like okay, if Frank stays the same player for the next five years, okay, and he's just the same guy, even at four twenty-eight million dollar extension, it's not like an albatross contract that's not killing you. He's probably providing around that value. Mm-hmm. If he even gets to like league average three-point shooting, you're blowing that contract out of the water in terms of like yeah. surplus value. And like that's what you need to do as a rebuilding team is sign guys to contracts that can be easily surplus value. And also, like, maintain cap flexibility, right? So, like, the Knicks have, for better or worse, maintained cap flexibility very well. What they haven't done well is sign guys to contracts that they can get, like, where surplus value is on the cards. Like, I don't know who the last player the Knicks signed to an actual, like, long-term deal where you were like, oh, yeah, he could definitely, like, exceed the value of that contract. I I don't, I honestly don't remember who I, I throw it out there. I have no clue. I don't remember the last Randall. guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I think his contract, yeah, it's, it's fine. But like, I mean, it just, I don't, I don't know. Like ultimately that's what, like that's why stars are stars, right? In a cap league, especially like the NBA is like LeBron is producing so much more value than his contract. Seth Curry, Harden, Giannis, AD, all these fucking guys, right? They're producing value above their contracts. And like that's what you need to have. You need to have a bunch of them to win. Like Toronto had basically like everybody in that rotation last year was providing value above their contracts, right? Like Kawhi, Fred Van Vliet, Siakam, obviously Ibaka. You just go down the list, like Mark everybody. All like yeah, yeah like that, everybody. That team, everybody was like, oh, that team that is a true underdog story. Like no, I'm sorry, that team is not an underdog story. Like that team was stacked. Yeah, the only team that was better than the clearly better than them was golden like healthy golden state right that was it like other than that it was like okay so they i mean it was it was an impressive run don't get me wrong um like you know both both the philly and the milwaukee series were essentially coin flips in my you know how i viewed it anyway um but like that team was i mean the thing is those three teams toronto philly and Milwaukee last year, they were all stacked. Like the, you know, Kawhi's shot doesn't bounce in off of you know five different parts of the rim. Like maybe Philly wins that series, maybe Philly goes on, and maybe they win the championship. Like you don't know. But like all three of those teams to me were championship caliber teams. Yeah. And yeah, I mean. <laughs>